about the book of Numbers, I want you to think about three things. You're going to have an old generation, a tragic transition, and then you're going to have a new generation. And what will be neat is, Lord willing, as we come all the way back, as, we, as I share with you all about this morning, all about the book of Numbers, uh, Lord willing, I want to come back to this, not specifically this slide, and then for you to think about which one are you of these three things. So as we gather around the Word of God... We're getting a chance to look at the book of Numbers. Just some fast facts about the book of Numbers. The time frame is probably one year since they've left Egypt. Since they walked out of Egypt, it's probably about a year later now. This book is going to cover 39 years. So what you read as, you know, your chapters, you need to think about as a time frame. You're going to have a 39-year time frame. On this journey, it will be wise for you to listen to instructions. You've got a nation of Israel that is, has led, uh, been brought out by an amazing, all-powerful God. And God has now transitioned this nation uh, that was really kind of what was mocked and laughed at, at as slaves, as now is seeing an amazing power of their God do that no other God could do. And God is now going to mold and shape this group into a family, into the nation of Israel. As you look about, as you think about and look through the book of Numbers... I want you to think about it from this perspective as well. The book of Numbers is kind of like a book when your parents told you if something, if you do this, somebody's going to get hurt. Or if your parents reminded you of, you know, this is probably not a wise thing to do because if you don't get it right, there's going to be pain involved. And so I have one little, little short video clip that I want to just, as you and Nancy, we're going to try to get it to play, uh, of just maybe this little word picture. Don't go too fast, he said. Just go. That should remind you of the book of Numbers. Because all of you have been told things that you, you shouldn't probably try that. And some of you, just without any common sense, went ahead and said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. Well, the book of Numbers is God's opportunity to say to the nation of Israel, hey, this is what I have for you. And you're going to get a chance to walk through a book and see the opportunities where they could have made wise choices. And they didn't. And so they were going to have to suffer the consequences of their choices. And sometimes I think we need to be thankful for our consequences. Because most of the time, most of you learn better from your consequences. Most of you would never get on a motorcycle when there's a close fence beside it and not figure out what am I supposed to do in order if somebody talked to you. Okay, what does this thing do? Where am I supposed to go? How fast does it go? Where's my helmet? You ask wise questions now. Why? Because probably you've learned from your consequences. You don't do the same things now that you did when you were 15. Some of us can't do those things physically. (laughs) And some of us learned that when you ride a bike up a ramp, it must come down and usually you don't end up on it. And so now we probably have a thing called wisdom. 
that our parents wished we would have had way younger in our life. And most of that wisdom came because of consequences. Bruce Wilkinson and Ken Boa put numbers this way. Wondering, the nation needs to be directed. The people are going to be tested. God's character. Justice. God is a just God. God's role to be the sustainer. Have you ever thought what it would be like to be in the wilderness for 40 years? Where do you buy new sandals? Where do you buy super glue to fix your tent? Where do you buy tent posts, tent pegs? Where do you buy a rope? God's going to sustain the nation of Israel. God's going to give them a command to go in. Go to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. Go there. It's yours. I've given it to you. You go there. But they didn't just go there, did they? Oh, they got there eventually. And what you're going to get a chance to see is they got there with 603,000 less people than when they started. You have your Bible, Numbers chapter 1, the old generation. Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after Israel came out of Egypt. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name one by one. You and Aaron are to number the divisions of all the men in Israel 20 years older or more, and they'll be able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe, each of the head of his family, is to help you. These are the names of the men who are to assist you. Now I want you to go to Numbers chapter 1, verse 44. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve elders of Israel, each one representing his family. All the Israelites, twenty years old, or more, were able to serve in the Israel's army, were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,555. That's just the men 20 years or older. I want you to highlight that verse. Because we're going to go through the book of Numbers, and we're going to be given a number. I don't want you just to think about numbers. I want you to think about men. I want you to think about their faces, and I want you to think about their families. Because as we go through the book of Numbers, these families are going to be affected because of these guys. And you're going to get a chance to see a number of people that will be drastically affected because of their choices. God is going to count the nation of Israel. God is also, and I couldn't really get it all on one slide, so I just put organized camp. God is going to organize the nation of Israel around the tabernacle, around the tent of meeting. You just couldn't sleep anywhere in camp, and so God had a plan. And, I, and because of me just doing one week 
in the book of Numbers. I can't go through all the details of what it was like, but what I can just I want you to imagine is you've got the tent of meetings, you've got the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the center of the nation of Israel. Around them is each tribe organized in a specific reason. Closest to those tents are the Levites. They're the ones supposed to be the protector. They're the ones supposed to be holy and called out. They're the ones going to be the ones to be the teachers of the nation of Israel. Learned that uh, in Leviticus last week. And you're going to have a cloud that engulfs this tent of meat. You're going to have very specific instructions. When this tent, the cloud lifts, the nation of Israel is going to move. You don't walk just anywhere you want to walk. You walk in a specific order the way God had set it up. What also is amazing as you think that's be, that around this tent, they're estimating that there's about 2 million people in the wilderness at this point. 2 million people camping around the sustainer God. 2 million people camping around the just God. 2 million people camping around the almighty God who's now made a choice to dwell amongst this group of people in a tent called the tabernacle. The tent of meaning. God's presence there. As you go along, to go to Numbers chapter 5. I don't find this by coincidence. I find it very interesting though. As you go through the book of Numbers, they are not going to take adultery lightly. That's Numbers chapter 5. Now, it's very interesting that God has said, hey, these are my rules and these are my standards and these is what, I, what I, I'm given to you to abide by. It's Numbers chapter 5. It's very interesting that growing up in a, in a society today that you never hear the word adultery anymore. Growing up in a society today, you never hear the words, you know, that's not supposed to be for you. Oh, well, we, what do we do in our society? Well, we, we had an affair. Adultery. There's a different tone to it, isn't it? Compared to an affair, and you change it to the word adultery. Very interesting to me that God is going to spell out very clear instructions to the nation of Israel. Those men and women are going to know exactly what he means, and they're going to know the consequences to their choices. It's called adultery. And those choices or consequences are never any fun. You stop and think about marriages in America. You stop and think about individuals inside these walls and outside these walls that are just living for themselves. Well, it's not really a big deal. It'll be a big deal when they sit down, when I have the opportunity to sit down and talk with your great-grandchildren one day. When I have to sit across the table from your son and daughter and say, hey, by the way, God still loves you. Yeah, well, but. Very interesting. Also, I find something that's very interesting in, in the book of Numbers is this Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite vow. Most of you know about the Nazarite vow because of Samson. What I think is interesting about this Nazarite vow is there was no way that you were going to hide that you had taken this vow. 
If you look in, in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to be to make a special vow, a vow of separation, if somebody wants to do this, here's an opportunity for you to say to the whole community, I'm going to live in separation. I'm going to be different. I want everybody to know. And what's interesting, everybody's going to know because of certain things that you do. You're no longer going to have strong drink, which you can probably hide around that. I have a whole lot to do with grapes. You can hide around that. But you're never going to cut your hair. Never. So I'm sure as you walked around through the nation of Israel, through the camp, you could pick out the ones that had the Nazarite vow. They're the ones that had the long hair. They're the ones that kind of maybe stuck out like a sore thumb because they just looked different. And I don't know what it was like for those people, but as they walked around camp, maybe people would say, oh yeah, they're the ones that made this whole declaration. Oh yeah, look at them. They want to be different. They want to be set apart. But they're here in this middle of the, of the desert. God's going to give the nation of Israel an opportunity to make a choice, to make a, a vow. It's interesting that we don't use the word vow a whole lot anymore. Because when you say the word vow, it's almost like you're saying, I'm going to follow through with this. Just a side note. February 14th is coming, gentlemen. People are going to make a lot of money off of us. But I pray that you do your vows more than just February the 14th. That 364 days out of the year, you're committed to your spouse. Self-sacrificial. Susan was listening to a sermon the other day, and a guy defined self-sacrificially as getting off the couch, gentlemen. We do not have the right to come home and just sit on the couch. We don't. That's a side sermon. The Nazarite vow. I wonder if you or I or how many of the nation of Israel at this point were walking around with long hair because they made a vow to God. God, I want everybody to know in this camp in these tents, that I'm going to separate myself to you. God, that's me. And so as you look at this this generation, the older generation, you're going to see things that are going to happen now. And this older generation is going to go through Numbers chapter 10 and verse 10. And specific things have been required of them and called of them. This older generation had seen the mighty hand of God. This older generation, there, there should, as we, as we transition to, to the next, you know, this tragic uh, transition, this older generation should have been the ones that have been really excited. They're, they had been around the Mount Sinai. They had been given the Ten Commandments. They had seen God do amazing things. Red Sea. Plundering the Egyptians. They had seen those things. And so now, God, God, 
the God that's among us, the God that's there as the cloud lifted. Here we're going. Where are we going? We are going to the promised land. Our God's going to lead us there. And there have been some history that had demonstrated the power of Israel's God. He just didn't say, hey, by the way, you know, we're headed to the promised land. Anybody can come that wants to come. Just, hey, here we go. No, no. He had radically brought them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, now to the Mount of Sinai, and now to a place where they had been given the Ten Commandments, the expectation of their God, where their God had called them out, be holy, be different, be set apart, because through you, the blind will see. Through you, eternal life will be given. Through you, People that have no hope will have hope. So as they gathered around and and had known about, hey, this is where we're going. We're going to the promised land. It's not a very far journey. But it's going to take them 40 years to get there. Because you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a transition to a tragic generation. And what's going to happen as you as we go through, and, I, and I'm probably going to go too fast for you, and I, I apologize up front, but I, I think it's neat for us just to grab certain things and then give you opportunities to think about uh, the book of Numbers. What's going to happen is this group of believers, the Israelites, are now going to transition their eyes from the tabernacle to the all-powerful, all-working God to the earthly thing. The problems are going to become too big. The struggles are going to become too great. And even though the God of Israel is amongst them, that had done amazing things, they're still going to say, you know what, God? We don't choose you. You know, God, we're not happy with you. And so now they're going to make some choices. And life is all about choices. And they're going to make some choices. And they're going to make some very unwise choices. I'm going to give you the overview first of the next like chapter 11 through chapter 21, and I'm going to come back and highlight a couple things. So if you begin in chapter 11, you're going to see that they're going to complain about the hardships of the desert. And Moses is going to pray, and God is going to consume those of the outer camp. There's going to be a complaint of lack of meat. And Moses, out of his frustration, is going to pray, and God's going to provide quail. And God is also going to provide a plague. There's going to be a complaint about the, the size and the power of those living in the land, and Moses is going to pray, and they are now going to face 40 years of wondering. There's also going to be a complaint against the authority and leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses is going to rebuke the nation of Israel in anger, and he's going to cry out in prayer. And those those who did uh, rise up against Aaron and Moses are going to die. There's going to be those, there's going to be a lack of water, and they're going to be rebuked, and Moses is going to strike the rock, and then there's going to be manna and desert, that's going to be brought into the desert. And there's going to be bronze serpents. 
that are poisonous snakes, and people are going to die. Of those things, I want to look at three. I want you to go with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to to the Israelites, for which the ancestral tribes one is sent as a leader. So the Lord commanded Moses, Send them out into the desert of Paran, all the leaders of the Israelites, and their names were. So God's going to send out twelve. Moses is going to give them very clear instructions. Pick it up in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said to them, Go up through Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people, where the people live, are they strong or weak, few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are the trees are the trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. 26. Then they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them. And they showed the whole assembly the fruit of the land. Now can you imagine the excitement? fruit that they've never seen before. I mean, there's no oranges, there's no apples in the desert, so you're not going to get really a whole lot of good, you know, food, and that's if you go through some of those complaints, uh, which I don't have time to do that, some of their complaint, hey, we we just want some fruit, God, we're in the desert for 40 years, give us some fruit, give us something different to eat, God. So you imagine now you've been in in the desert for a period of time, and they bring back to you some fruit. They gave Moses the account, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land where we are certainly to do it. Two people said, let's go. God, you sold us to go for it. God, you brought us out of Egypt. God, you've done amazing things. We've seen the power of your hand. Two people stood and said, hey, let's go. But what happened? But the men who had gone up with them, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. They had taken their eyes off their God. They had forgot about the all-powerful God that lived right inside of their camp. The pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. They had forgot about that God. And they said, you know what, God? It's too big. Tragic transition. God had it moved. 
but their faith moved. Their circumstances became too big. The cities were too strong, too many people. And so now, they will spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? But in verse, look at verse 29. In this desert, your body will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census, and who grumbled against me. What do we know? Was the census taken by accident? No, it wasn't. Flip back in your Bible. The Numbers chapter 1. Verse 32. 603,550. 603,550. 603,550. Those men were all going to die in the wilderness. Because they took their eyes off the all-powerful God. They allowed the circumstances to be too big Too great. Thank God. It's over. I often wonder where do you where do you bury people in the desert? It wasn't a hundred or two hundred. It was six hundred and three thousand. Only two people lived out of that. You know it was. Joshua and Caleb. They're the two that have seen the land of milk and honey. And they're going to make it. Because they did not take their eyes off their God. Another one I think you're probably aware of is, is Numbers chapter 20. Moses. And I don't know how Moses and Aaron over these years, you know, Is it fair to be Moses and Aaron? God called Moses to be this leader, and now he's got to listen to these people complain. On and on and on. And so, I'm sure at times Moses was just, you know, livid inside saying, God, why did you let me be involved with a bunch of leaders that are a bunch of whiners? God, why why didn't you just give me the generation that was all excited and following you and loved you with their whole heart? I don't know the answer. But I know that God gave Moses the command. Numbers chapter 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take your staff and you and your brother Aaron. Gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so so they and their livestock can drink. You ever wonder how much water came out of that rock? Let's say two million people need a glass of water. And what we didn't track through is, and I, I really encourage you to go back, look, and, and as they go through battles, they, they, they wipe out people 
but they gather their livestock. So just the people are the fewest of the, of the thing. You've got sheep, you've got goats, you've got cows. All that's going to be water. Speak to that rock, and they and their livestock will drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as the Lord commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the, in front of the rock. Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. <laughs> Probably not a good speech way to start out a sermon or whatever. You know, listen, you rebels. But listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out of the rock, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give you. Moses, you need to obey. Does Moses have justification to be frustrated, to be disappointed, to be angry at this group of people? Absolutely. So because of Moses' choice, he struck the rock twice. And he was not the leader that took the nation of Israel into the promised land. The last one we'll look at out of this, as you think about the transition and change, is, is Numbers chapter 21. Pick it up in verse 4. They traveled from the Mount Horror along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom. And the people grew impatient of the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So the Lord prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. Put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look to it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake looked at the bronze snake and lived. You know where this is quoted in the New Testament? John chapter 3. You know who's asking about it? Nicodemus. God, what does it mean to be born again? And God and Jesus in his power took Nicodemus all the way back to this passage of Scripture, to the book of Numbers, to a wicked generation saying, hey, if you want to believe this is what it's going to look like, you've got to look and live. You've got to make a choice. And how many people, because they're proud and arrogant, and the group of of the nation of Israel said, you know what? We don't need this serpent. We don't need this guy. We're just going to die. And they laid there and took their final breath because they didn't have the courage to look and live because of their self-arrogant pride, that we don't need a God. So this morning you've gathered, and you get a chance to see that your choices do matter. And you get a chance to see in this tragic transition in the nation of Israel's life, and I think we should look at it and say, you know what, God, thank you for the truth of the Word of God, that there is consequences when we live this obedient lives. You get a chance to see that in chapters 13, 14, 20, and 21. And then you get a chance to see this new generation. And they're going to count this new generation. And, and this starts in chapter 26. 
In this new generation in chapter 26 and verse 5, the total number of men was 601,730. It's a new generation of warriors. And God's going to provide a new leader, and his name's going to be Joshua. And God is going to use Joshua. And you'll have to come back, because I'm not going to tell you about Joshua until we get to the book of Joshua. So there's some, uh, uh, leave you there hanging. But what's interesting is, is Moses did exactly what God called him to do with, with Joshua in, in Numbers chapter 27, verse 22. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand with Elziar and the priest and the whole assembly. And that's uh, 27, verse 22, 23. And then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed Moses to do. There's going to be a transition to a new leader, new generation. And in this new generation, they're going to be warriors. And I realize we're getting close to our time, but I think what would be neat for some of you this afternoon is to go and sit down and read chapter 31 and see the battle. And see that God said to the nation of Israel, hey, this is what I want you to do. And when you go into battle, I want you to kill all the men. Kill them all. And then read through and see what the Israelites did do. See the choices that they did make. And God said, when you go into the plains of Moab and you fight, you make sure that you drive out the inhabitants, destroy all the carved images, destroy all the high places, destroy all those things that you could turn to and say, we're going to worship this as God. Destroy all those things. And he does remind them, if you don't do this, that nation will be a barb in your eye. So this morning as we end our time together, we see three generations. The old generation, the tragic transition, and the new generation. So I ask you this morning, which one are you? As I think about the older generation, and I'm not talking age here. I'm talking about the things that that you and I have seen. The miraculous work of God in our lives. And where we have the tendency to say, God... Yes, thank you, but it's my time now. Or maybe some of us are sitting in this in this in this in this room this morning saying, you know what? We are part of that tragic tragic transition. Our eyes are focused on worldly things. And we've stopped saying, God, we can do this. God, you are all powerful. Maybe some are sitting here are like the new generation. God, take me to the promised land. This morning as you sit here, you're part of that older generation. Maybe you just need to stop and remind yourself of how God has rescued you from destruction. Maybe you just need to fall on your face and say, you know what, God? I'm sorry. Because I've let the things of this world become too big. You know what I'm excited about? America's never going to be the way it is right now, ever again. And we're headed for an opportunity. And you know what I think God is saying for us? Go for it. Be the light in the nation. Make a difference. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what happens in our society. He's called us to trust Him. To keep our eyes focused on Him, no matter what happens. 
To have the courage to stand in the culture and say, you know what? That's adultery. To have the courage to stand in the culture and say, you know what? There's only one way for eternal life. And it goes through the cross. No matter what people say. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and maybe you just need to stop and say, you know what, God? I need to repent. God, I need to agree with you this morning. Wherever you are, stop and say, God, I need to ask forgiveness of you today. Whatever that might be. Some, it might be salvation. Some, it might be saying, you know what? I've allowed the weight of the world to affect me negatively. Some may need to say, Father, I need to repent because I've taken my eyes off you. I know I'm not supposed to be, I know I'm supposed to be the light of the world. I know I'm supposed to make disciples. But I'm sorry, God. I've been distracted. As you sit here as amongst us today as a family, wherever you are, If you forgot about his power, maybe it's time for you today to say, God, I'm desperate for you. And if we're honest, we could say we're desperate in all three areas. God, I'm desperate, and I'm totally relying on your, your miraculous working power, just like you brought Egypt out, just like you took them through the Red Sea. You know, that power is alive today. It's living in you. And no matter what you face, he's standing next to you. No matter what sin you might be involved in, he's not like your mom or your dad. He's not mad at you. He doesn't have a club that he wants to hit you over the head with a two-by-four. It's that still small voice say, come home. Because there's a temptation for all of us to say, well, this will make me happy. Well, nobody will know. What I learned in the book of Numbers, six hundred three thousand They can say, God, I don't need you. God, I'm going to do it my way. And I know it's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things occurred as examples to us from setting our hearts on evil things. It's an example to you to keep your eyes on evil things. Because but for the grace of God, we could become the adulterer. We could, be, we could have the idol. I don't want you to walk out of here totally saying, wow, that's just like a little rough here today. Maybe I do. I say this to you, though. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength.
It's time for war. It's time for us to go for it. It's time for us to be the light of the world. It's time for us to get us, our eyes off the fears and inadequacies and the things that trouble us and to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him the cross, endured its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father so you would have hope this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to go back and look at the book of Numbers. But Father, may we not just look at it as information, which there's some really neat information there. Great facts, truth, history, the power of, your, of our God. It's all there. But may we walk away in total desperation for you, Father. So wherever you sit this morning, he knows your heart. If you're caught in sin, if it's captured you, don't beat yourself up. Don't get mad at yourself. Run to the Savior. Say, Father, I see it this morning. I recognize that I've been trapped. The book of Galatians says we will come alongside of you, help you. Because all of us are going to get trapped at times. Rescue those who are trapped, Father. Father, for those that are, that are in this tragic transition and they've taken their eyes off of you, may they look to you again in a fresh new way, in total desperation for you, Father, and in your power, in your strength, and in your might, that our lives would be different. Father, raise a generation of warriors just like that were led by Joshua, that went to the fortified cities and watched you take down the walls in miraculous power. Make us a light to our community. Father, if there's one sitting in this building today that maybe just needs to stop and say, you know what, I need to look and live to Jesus. What do you mean by that? I mean, maybe you need to say, Jesus... I'm accepting forgiveness of my sin today. For the first time, it's went from information to your head down into you, to you, the heart of you as an individual and saying, you know what? I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want the Savior that worked in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and now in Numbers. I want that Savior. The only way you're going to get that Savior, the only way that that God's going to be your God is to follow His plan. And his plan for forgiveness is you accept the free gift of salvation through the shed blood of His Son. Three days later, rose again so that you could have life. The Holy Spirit, you see our family. You know what needs to be done. So I pray that you would give us the courage to make those choices. You would give us the courage to run to you, the Holy Spirit, for help. If you're here this morning and you'd like to pray with somebody, we have the What's Next ministry. Straight out the back of the church, second door on the left. Father, may we not forget about the children in our community as we leave this place today. In your name I pray. Amen.